to the 29th verse. When you have it, please stand. Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. I'm reading from the New International Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, the darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you came to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. So we've kind of been working through this series on faith, uh, going through Hebrews, taking out certain passages that were uh, provided by the Common Lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary, and we have been talking about faith. And so two weeks ago, we talked about faith and, and triumph tests and trust. And then last week, we talked about faith in walking and waiting and warring and witnessing. And so today, with our brief time together, I want to talk a little bit about going from fear to unshakable faith. Ah. Uh, it was interesting when researching for this sermon, learning about, you know, the word testament coming from the Latin word to testify, but also in the Greek, it meaning covenant. And so we had some letters that were sent out to people uh, who believed in Jesus and, and the new way and those who believed in God. And, and so we had an old covenant. And then a couple of letters were put together and those that were recording what Jesus did and what to do in preparation for Jesus' return was a new covenant that was put together. And one of those letters that was being passed around became known to be known as the book of Hebrews. 
And so before when we talk about what's going on prior to the reading, uh, there's a part that talks about, as we read in last week, the cloud of witnesses, those who are cheering us on, those who have gone before us, those who were able to do some of the things that we're trying to do. And if they were able to do it and they're turning back to cheer us on, we should have that much more ability to move forward. Amen. And so uh, we talked about the crowd of witnesses, and then right before we go into, uh, into the part that I read for your hearing, there's parts where it's going to get tough. Uh, this thing called life is not designed to be easy. It's not designed to be cherry pie from start to finish, and we go through acting like we are skipping through daffodils with no problems. There will be some struggle. There will be some resistance. So right before we got to the part in your reading, in between the cloud of witnesses and what you heard, he talks about chastising those and not being, uh, 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 not being scared of the chastisement, not being scared of the hard times, because we're going to have to work through it. And the reason sometimes we get uh, upset or worried about when things aren't going our, our way is because we look at things that are temporary versus what is permanent. Uh, when you are concerned only about the right now, the right here and now, and not concerned about what happens in the future, you might make decisions that cause you to damage your future. The text speaks of Esau being worried about a temporary situation. I am hungry. And because he was so hungry, he sold his birthright. He gave his birthright away based on a temporary situation. And so because he gave uh, the temporary situation, I'm hungry right now, he gave away his future. And sometimes we can end to do that when, there's, when it comes to faith. When we look at what's temporary as opposed to what's permanent and what's the future and what's going on later, we may make the bad decisions. And so that's what the writer is talking about when he talks about this in the faith. He's talking about the temporary and the old versus what's going to be new and what's going to be forever. And he uses examples. One versus one is uh, Mount Sinai in the text. And the other one is Mount Zion. Mount Zion representing the law and Mount Zion representing the new covenant. Uh, and so he compares what's temporary versus what is permanent. And so if we're going to move from fear to unshakable faith, the first thing we need to realize is that sometimes fear is appropriate. The fear associated with Mount Sinai goes back to Exodus when they were talking about Moses. And there was a mountain that certain people couldn't go on because God was there. And they didn't even want to get close to it. Even Moses said in the, in, in the, he, was, he was trembling with fear. But this is the same mountain that we got the law from. This is the same mountain that Moses came down from with the law. And so there are some times it is okay to be fearful. We, we've gotten into this point in, in, in a temporary mindset that we want everything to be black and white. And, and so we've taught people that if you have fear, there is no way you could possibly have faith. That if you are worried about something, if you are cautious about something, then there is obviously something wrong with your belief. But fear does not always mean the absence of faith. If I were to walk outside... If I were to walk outside right on the Broadway Avenue J to cross the street to get to Bishop's Palace, if I wanted to take a tour, I'm going to look both ways before I cross the street. 
Why? Because I have fear, an appropriate amount of fear, of the two tons of steel that keeps going down the street over and over again. Does that not mean, do I step out onto the street and say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper and walk without looking across the street? No. Sometimes there is an appropriate amount of fear. And it's okay to have that because we know what that two tons of steel would do if it collided with our flesh and bones real fast. So there are appropriate times. And so these people were fearful of the Lord because this was a God that, that when there was punishment being handed down, it was swift. It was, it, was, it, was, it was executable. It was quick. These things happened. You said something, you might have been struck down. And so there was an appropriate amount of fear on what was going on. The way we raise our children, there's an appropriate amount of fear to have. We don't let everyone around our children, especially when they're young, amen? We don't let everybody babysit our child. We don't leave our child unsupervised with everybody. There's an appropriate amount of fear. We don't hand our child to anybody and say, he'll never leave the righteous forsaken or his seed breaking bread. There's an appropriate amount of fear. But the thing is understand about these things is that what is made by man can also be destroyed. What is made by man, the text says, can be touched. It can be shaken. And so we got to think about necessarily moving on from the mindset of Mount Sinai to the mindset of Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly place where joy and confidence in this mountain and eternal is it's eternal because Jesus already did the work. Amen. This heavenly Jerusalem where the angels are worshiping because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. That Friday morning on a hill called Calvary, a.k.a. Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull. We're able to have access to this heavenly Jerusalem because of the work that Jesus did when he died for our sins. And not only died for our sins, but rose again from the dead on the third day with all power in his hands. That's permanent. Can't tell you what the top song was on the radio six months ago. That's temporary. But Jesus Christ dying for our sins over 2,000 years ago is permanent. There's a reason why the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It's permanent. Only what you do for Christ will last. And so we have to understand not only that, that some, not only that sometimes fear is appropriate, but in order to move from fear to unshakable faith, we have to get grounded in the word. Amen. Uh, it talks about in the, t- in the passage where he says not to refuse the one who speaks. Talking about God's word. And if God's voice must have been listened to, it needed to be listened to on Mount Sinai. It should even more so be listened to on Mount Zion. Mm, all right. The Bible says to study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to get grounded in the word. Mm-hmm. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God is forever. I get tired and tired and tired and more tired about the, the, the so-called lack of importance placed upon biblical literacy. 
I was on my way to Dallas. Well, I was actually on my way back from Dallas for my internship orientation at Perkins. And we were talking about something uh, on the way with one of my classmates. And we, uh, there's a, a, a documentary out there called The Quran by Heart. And uh, we took a class a uh, couple semesters ago, and they talked about this as well in, in this class, uh, World Religions, where we had an opportunity to look at other religions and what they believe and what was going on with them so that we could be better grounded. I have no, absolutely no problem with that because the Muslim that comes to convert the Christian is able to quote the Bible. The, the, the Buddhist that is able to convert the Christian is able to quote the Bible and they capitalize on our lack of knowledge about the Bible. And so one of those things that is a pet peeve of mine is trying to spend as much time in the word as possible because it comes from all angles. And it seems like it, that the, the more biblically sound people I meet don't want anything to do with the church and are able to bring up what they like and don't like about the Bible and have those discussions, and we have more people going away from the church. Uh, but anyway, this Quran by Heart documentary, uh, what they were talking about, and in, in both in this Quran by Heart documentary and in the class of World Religion, is that there was somebody called the Caliphate. These people, and what these people were able to do is they were able to quote the Quran and sing it cover to cover by the time they were children. These aren't grown people able to quote it, and, and, and if you want to compare lengths, the Quran is about the length of the entire New Testament, give or take. But they're able to sing and quote the whole thing cover to cover because they take their beliefs that seriously. Now, am I asking anybody in here to be able to get up and sing and quote the Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation? No, but we ought to be able to spend some time in it, amen? amen. How can we know what God wants for us if we don't know what God said? How can we know what God wants for us if we don't know what God says? Did you know that the Bible says that you are the head and not the tail? That you should be above and shall never be beneath? Do you know that it says that? That you're the righteousness of God? That you're the apple of his eye? That he'll never leave you nor forsake you or leave your seed begging bread? Did you know that it says that for you? The Bible is full of promises that are for you a hope and a prosper and a future. But if you don't know, you don't read, and you can't just depend on me or any other pastor to show up on Sunday. You have to develop the relationship for yourself. So understand to move from fear to unshakable faith that, that sometimes an appropriate amount of fear is understandable. And we need to get grounded in the word. Then we need to uh, not only get grounded in the word, but uh, moving on, though, though there are time and time again that we need to get grounded in the word. My son, forget not my laws. That's the word. But let thy heart keep thy commandments. That's the word for length of days and long life shall peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. That's the word. Bind them about thy neck. That's the word. Write them upon the table of thine heart. That's the word. And thou shalt find favor and understanding in the sight of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. That's the word. In all your ways acknowledge him. That's the word. And he shall direct your path. Get grounded in the word. 
But not only do we need to get grounded in the word, we need to be able to deal with the doubt. Doubt will come. There will be times where you may feel like God has left you. You may feel like God has forsaken you, but I'm here to tell you that even when you feel like that, you're in good company. Jesus said from the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? There are times when you have that doubt, and doubt does not mean that you have no faith. Doubt does not mean that you don't know. Doubt means you want to know that much more. Uh, Having doubts from time to time does not mean you don't believe. It's just there are things that some of us are analytical by nature. We want to test stuff. We want to try it out. It's, It's okay to wrestle through those questions. Wrestle with them. Embrace them. Work them out and you'll come out that much more on the other side. We make fun of doubt. We insult doubt. When we think somebody doesn't believe, we call them a doubting Thomas. Why? But Thomas was not necessarily doubting because he didn't believe. He was doubting because he wanted to put his own hands through the wounds of Jesus. And one thing that is covered historically that isn't necessarily all the way covered in the text is that the disciple Thomas was one of the only ones that was the disciple to actually leave the area that the Bible is taking place in. He was the only one that actually went out into India and Syria and all these other places trying to spread the word. That's why we have the Mar Toma Orthodox Church because he went out and about. I mean, the word spread out, but all the other disciples kind of stayed in the same area. They kind of stayed in their own backyard. But once he was able to put his hands through the wounds of Jesus. He had to go tell somebody else about it and he went and spread it out all over the world. So a doubting Thomas is not an insult. It should not be an insult. It should not be a bad thing because he went out and did what he said to go out into the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He went out. So we have to be able to deal with our doubt. Amen? And not only do we have to be able to deal with our doubt, we need to understand that we are all in this together. We can't just be, even though we are on an island, we can't be an island by ourselves. This thing called the way, this thing called Christianity, and really this thing called life, we need to be able to do it with others. Uh, One of my wife's favorite movies and it's up there pretty high for me as well, is The Color Purple. And there's a scene in The Color Purple that uh, the Suge Avery is talking to Seeley and says, Seeley, tell the truth. Have you ever found God in church? I never did. I just found a bunch of folks hoping for him to show Any God I ever felt in church, I brought with me. And I think the other folks did too. They come to church to share God, not to find God. If we are going to do this, if we are going to grow from glory to glory and faith faith to faith, we need to be able to find other people and build in community. We need to be able to share this joy that we have with others. That's the way we grow as people. Not on an island talking about I'm spiritual by myself, that I don't need nobody else. If we are going to grow in faith, we need the community to work behind us. It's simple, and it applies to other things. Athletes perform better in front of a crowd. 
you sound much better when you sing with a group than by yourself. When more people are experiencing things together, we're able to work it out. And if you don't like the color purple, I have some Bible for that. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his, dew, uh, of his garments. And as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing evermore. We need to work together. We need to be together. Ecclesiastics 4, 9, and 12 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, how can if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A, a two-fold cord is strong, but a three-fold cord is not easily broken. We need to work together. Well, Pastor, you're quoting a lot of Old Testament stuff. Well, we can go to Hebrews since we were in Hebrews. And Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That means we need to be together, thinking about other people besides ourselves. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves. Not forsaking the assembly. That means coming together. The assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but extorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching, the day that Jesus comes, the day that we can all get together. Until we all get together, we still need to be together here on earth. Amen. Oh, uh, well, pastor, that's nice, but that's New Testament reading, but that ain't, that ain't really what I want. Well, if you got a problem with that, well, let me give you one more quote. That's Jesus. For where two or three that are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them and bless them. We need to work together. So if we're going to move from fear to unshakable faith, understanding that appropriate level of fear is, appro is, is okay. Understanding that you can deal with the doubt, get grounded in the word, and understand that we are all in this together. But not only that, understand that you have faith already. You exercise faith on a regular basis. Did anybody check the floor before they walked on it into this building? What about the ceilings? Did anybody check the ceiling? Did anybody check their pew before they sat down in it? We drove cars that we didn't build on roads that we didn't construct. We exercise faith every day. We learn from teachers whose credentials we didn't verify. We go to a doctor whose med school we didn't vet. We get a prescription that we can't read. Take it to a pharmacist that we don't know. They put pills in a bottle that we didn't make and put that bottle in a bottle that you can't open. And we trust that all the time. But then when we get to Jesus, when we get to the God that created the heavens and the earth, we want some sort of scientific proof. Now, we're not all biochemists in here, but if you took that medicine that you ate and somebody gave you the chemical makeup of it, you probably couldn't read it. We exercise faith on a daily basis. Go to bed every night. 
thinking that we're going to wake up. We don't question that. We talk to people and say, see you later, like we know when we're going to see them again. We exercise faith, but we ought to be able to apply it, exercise it more in our day-to-day lives. The only way you really get better at things is practice. We exercise faith in certain areas, but what do we pray about in all of our areas? What if, rather, if we prayed about God or prayed pray to God, rather, in all of our areas? Yes, we want to pray when Big Mama is sick, when, when Papa got hurt. But, and, and some of us may even drop a quick Jesus wept over our food, but our day-to-day business dealings. Do we pray about everything? Do we invite God to be in control of everything? That's exercising the faith. Do you believe God for the mundane as well as as the magnificent? Or do we only invite God in when we need a big deal? Do we hold on to our relationship with God and prayer and our faith like it's the big joker in a spades game? Or or the trump card in a bit whisk game that we wait out until we really need it and then put it out. We ought to use it in our day-to-day dealings because practice is the only way you get better at something. If you practice exercising your faith, not only in the magnificent but in the mundane, you will grow it. I've been watching the Olympics. They practice to get to where they're at. They didn't decide the week before the Olympics that I want to run the 100-meter dash. I think I'm going to get me a plane ticket to Rio, and I'm going to participate in the 100-meter dash. No. They've been training for years. We only saw nine seconds of it, but that nine seconds took thousands and thousands of hours of training, thousands and thousands of hours of exercise, thousands and thousands of hours of managing your diet thousands and thousands of hours rather of other competition and it should be the same thing with our Christian walk we need to spend time upon time after time praying we need to spend time upon time after time fasting we need to spend time upon time after time worshiping we need to spend time upon time after time reading the word so that though when we get to that situation Well, we need God to work a miracle. We have some muscle to press through. Exercise faith more and invite it into your life. And the last thing as I come to a close, uh, understand that you have already won. When you move from fear to unshakable faith, understand that you have already won. It says that God is a consuming fire in the text. When you consume something, there is nothing left. When you consume food, there is no more food left. You will not see that food anymore. Definitely not in the way that you consumed it. When you consume gas for your car, that gas is gone. If you want to drive any further, you need to get some more gas. So when you consume something, It comes up. And so they're saying when God is a consuming fire, that God is in charge of all. God is in charge of everything. And they talk about the things that are made by man can be touched. And the things that are made by man can be shaken. And because they're shaken, they can go away. 
And so the text says that, the, that everything will happen is going to be removed and shake. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, earth but also the heavens. Once more indicates that what is being removed can be shaken. And so even though we have man-made things that can be shaken, those God-made things can be shaken as well, but by God. Uh, and, 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 and in studying, one of the texts that came up is in Hebrews 1, 10 and 12, and it said, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. So I understand that when things are shaken, it's as easy as folding up a garment. And so just as easy as I take off this jacket and fold it up, God is capable of taking off my problems and folding them up. Just as easy as I can take off this tie, God is able to roll up my problems, roll up my situation, and make it that much better for me. God created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And so I'm able to have this unshakable faith just because I have the knowledge and the understanding that God is in control. God is able to roll up my problems. Can I be honest with you right now? I'm in need of about three real big miracles right now. And two of them have already happened because I've put that faith in God. I was worried about being passed on to the next level in my board of ordained ministry problems. But I got passed into that. I was worried about this internship because I work a full-time job from 6 to 3. And they needed me to be at my uh, consultant's office from 6 to 3. In those times, um, or 1 to 3 rather. And so I didn't know if I was even going to be in school this semester. But God made it happen. Talked to the professor and the professor said, we're going to set up a special time for you to meet so that you can pass your class and graduate. And so I'm on the road, and I have that unshakable faith. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. In the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.